In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, I usually go to my dentist a couple times a year, and I'm always hoping when I go there that he's just going to say, oh, just a little checkup and a little cleaning, and that's it. We'll send you home. And that oftentimes does happen. But a few years ago, it didn't happen that way. He looked at me and said, oh, you got a cavity that's gone bad. you got a filling that's gone bad in this cavity. He said, I'm going to have to drill that. And I said, okay. And he said, now, you're the guy that never gets a shot before drilling, right? And I said, no, I've never had a shot. He said, okay, as if speaking to an idiot. And uh, so he began drilling, and he got down to where the old cavity was, and then he went just a little bit further. And at that point, I felt that all the way down to my toes. And I about tore the sides of his chair off. I was gripping like, And he gets done, he says to me, well, that really gets down to where you live, doesn't it? I said, yes, it does. And that's kind of the feeling I had when, when I was working on our gospel lesson, the text for today. It really gets down to where we live. It's really is very appointed thing to us. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples, and last words oftentimes mean a lot. And he is saying to them, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then later on he says, I point you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the fruit that lasts is when we love other people. That's bearing fruit. That's fruit that will last. That means something. And the, the world is, is just die, literally dying to hear that they have love. Everybody wants that. And yet it's kind of hard to find. Deborah and I were listening to the radio the other day, traveling along, and we heard the song, Looking for love in all the wrong places. And I thought, isn't that the truth? People are kind of looking for love in all the wrong places. But one of the right places that they should be able to look for love should be a place like this, should be the Christian church, should be congregations within the Christian church. That's where people should be able to find love because that's kind of our job. That's what we're here for. The Christian church might have programmatic failure and still be okay. The church might have organizational failure and still be all right. But if the church has failure to love, we might as well shut the doors because we're not, all we are then is just a meaningless social club. This is where they should be able to find that. It's the kind of love that God poured on us in Christ. And when people come here, they should have a sense that people are filled with God's spirit of love and that if they're around them, they can catch the runoff and they'll get the love that's there. That's the, that's the feeling folks should have. I read a story about a little young man whose parents didn't go to church, but he, his buddy invited him. So he walked to church every Sunday and Sunday school and church and he really liked it. He found, he found the kind of love he was looking for there. Then his parents moved across town and he still walked all the way across town to go to his old church and Sunday school. And one of the neighbors said to him, you got a church a half a block from your new house. Why don't you just go there? And he said this. He said, well, I don't know. I guess it's just because they really love a fellow over there. Well, that's the only reason anybody would go to a church, this one or any other one, if they really love a fellow over there. That's kind of what we got to do. People aren't going to come to the Christian church 
to this church, for, for example. They're not going to come to this church because of our tremendous gymnasium. They're not going to come because of our crystal cathedral. They're not going to come because of our pure doctrine. And they're not going to come because of our perfect pastor, none of which we have. They are going to come if they feel that the people here have the love of Christ in their hearts and that's spilling out to them. That's what's going to do it. Now, in Greek, as I told the kids, they use three different words to describe the one English word, love. The first word is phyllis, from which we get our, uh, the city uh, of Super Bowl champions, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So phyllis is about that friendship kind of love or that brother-sister kind of love. It's like that. And the second word is eros, from which we get our English word erotic. And that's more... Um, sensual or sexual kind of love. There's an element of selfishness to that. And then there is the third word, which is agape, transliterated A-G-A-P-E, which if you look that up in the English dictionary would say, oh, agape, to stand staring with your mouth hanging open. Well, that's not the same thing as agape, although if people would experience agape love, they might stand staring with their mouth hanging open because they haven't seen much of that. So agape is that kind of love that doesn't ask for something in return. It's not a reciprocal kind of thing, back and forth. It's just, I'm feeling so good that this stuff is just flowing out of me. I just want to love and help other people. That's agape love. I warn you, there is nothing in agape love that says that if we truly love somebody else, they're going to love us back. Not necessarily. There's nothing that says in agape love that if we do what's good for people, do what's best for them, that they're even going to appreciate it, let alone pay us back. There's nothing in agape love that says if we do something nice for people, they might, in fact, be irritated by it. I'll give you a cow example of this. Cows are much like humans. Um, well, I had a, had a first calf heifer that was overdue. She was, I knew she was gonna have, had, supposed to have a calf. And every day I was worried more because she was getting bigger and bigger and the calf was getting bigger and she was young. And, and I told Deborah, I said, she's, there's no way she's going to have this calf on her own. So uh, one day I got a call from Deborah. She says, hey, there's a cow here with feet hanging out the back end. What do I do? I said, I'll be right there. So I stopped, got the neighbor. He had his calf puller. We got in there. We worked real hard. It was a hard pull. We jacked him out of there. And I dragged him out into the corral. And I thought, well, I'll turn her loose out of the chute now, and then she'll be excited to go see her calf and so forth and so on. It'll be great. So I opened the chute. <laughs> she ran right at me like she was going to kill me. She, was like, she did not seem to understand. And I thought, you ungrateful wench. Here I, here I saved you, your life. I saved your calf's life, and you're trying to kill me. What the heck? And then I remember the words of my colleague Jim who used to say, remember, no good deed will be left unpunished. And that's certainly the way it was. And I think people are like that too, oftentimes. Not only do they not uh, reciprocate, don't appreciate, they sometimes are really, really mad. And you remember Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm going to let that go. I'm just going to love them anyway. So agape love is one of those things that we do, not because people are deserving of it, not because we're going to get something, just because we feel God's love in us. So wives, uh, I'll tell you this, if your husband is an insensitive doofus, love him anyway. You know, just, just love him anyway. If your wife is a, a shrieking shrew, just love her anyway. 
If your kids are ungrateful wretches that just view you as a walking ATM, love them anyway. If your parents are old and irascible and impossible, love them anyway. If your neighbor is wacky and doesn't deserve consideration, consider him anyway. That's agape love. I read a story about a woman who uh, uh, was disgusted. She went to a marriage counselor. She said, you know, my husband is a, is a, uh, is a, a, a crazy insensitive person. And I'm just, I'm just fed up with him. And she said, I'm going to divorce him. And the marriage counselor said, well, before you do that, let, let's set him up like a bowling pin here a little bit. And uh, you, you come back in a month. But in that meantime, in that month, you go home and act as if you love him. You know, do stuff for him. Fix his favorite meals. Listen to him when he talks his dumb stuff. And, and actually respect you know, him and stuff like that. Do, do that for a month. And then come back. And then we'll, we'll lower the boom. So she came back in a month, and he says, all right, you're ready to pull the rug out from under him because by now he's going to really realize what he missed because you've been loving him for this month. And she says, heavens, no. I found out that in acting as if I love him, I really do love him. And I think that's maybe a, a, a secret for us to learn how to grow spiritually is to say, I don't need to wait until I'm feeling it. Ooh, I'm feeling it. I want to love somebody. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I should. We don't have to do that. We can go at it from the other way. Psychologists would call this behavioral stuff. And that is we can just do what we're supposed to do and act as if we were a loving person, and it will drag our thinking along with it. It will drag our heart along with it, just like the woman that was going to get divorced. And so that will, that will work for us. Now, in, uh, in the fellowship of AA and NA, they have a phrase for this. It is to act as if. And that phrase is, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it doesn't mean that you're supposed to be phony. It means just act like a straight and sober person would act. And if you do that long enough, you will actually become a straight and sober person. Just like when my son was learning to ride a two-wheel bicycle, I said, oh, go act like a bicycle rider. So he threw his leg over and got on the handlebars and the pedal took off and crashed. I said, ah, oh, act like a bicycle rider again. And so he did. But by the end of that day, in acting as if, he actually became a bicycle rider. So uh, as I said, in the fellowship of, uh, of recovery, uh, the shorthand version of this, we had a guy in that was in aftercare, and, and his sponsor had told him, you know, which meetings he needed to go to and what he needed to share there, and they needed to call him and do these readings. And he was going, well, I don't think I would need to do that. I, I don't really feel like that's helping me, and I, I, I don't know if that's, you know, he was all that kind of excuse. And his sponsor summed it up very neatly for him by saying, just get your rear end of the meeting. Your head will show up later. And I think in some ways that's maybe what we need to do in the Christian church. We have to wait to feel it or, ooh, I'm not feeling it. Just do it and your head will show up later. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.